So we're, we're back in James uh, today. How many of you remember before I left, I, I said I had a really exciting announcement to make. Do you remember that? Well, I'm going to share it with you after the message today. <laughs> if you're good. If you're good. If I get a lot of affirmation and amens this morning, maybe I'll, maybe we'll get, thank you. All right. Good. Good start. So we're back in James today, James chapter 4, uh, five simple verses today. Um, today's message is, is very important. It, God's Word is always important. We need God's Word in our life. Uh, but it, it's a simple message. It's not complicated. And honestly, I might be sharing something with you today that's not new information. And in fact, most of the time, what we need is we don't need new information. We need to be reminded of what we already know, right? So when you go to the doctor and she tells you, you know, stop eating fast food and start exercising, I already know that, but I need someone to remind me, right? And so when we come together as God's people, a lot of times it's not so that we can get something new that we don't already know. It's so that we can be built up in our faith that we can be strengthened in what we already know so that we can better live out the life that God's called us to live. Because God's called us to, to he's, number one, he's called us. He's called us. He's called us out of the world, amen? He's called us out of darkness into light. And he's called us to walk in the light. So we need to be strengthened. We need to be built up. So today's message, not incredibly deep or, or new information, but it is incredibly important. Five simple verses. I'm going to read through them for you this morning. James chapter 4, verse 13. It says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Wow, really encouraging, James. <laughs> Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, open up our hearts to receive what you have for us today. Lord, we know it's good because you are good. So Lord, everything that you have for us today, it is good. It is a blessing. It is a gift from you. Lord, give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to our lives today. God, we want to live like you. We want to live like Jesus today. And not just today, but every single day. Lord, empower us by your spirit to live as the people you've called us to live as. In Jesus' name, amen. So James is writing to encourage us to, to what? To live like Jesus. To live like Jesus. And this is, you know, James, he was Jesus' younger brother. He saw the way that Jesus lived. And he's saying, listen, Christians are called to live like Jesus. Christ, to live like Jesus. And so if we're going to live like Jesus, there's two things in this passage that we need to adopt. If we're going to pursue Jesus, if we're going to live like he did on the earth, there's two things we have to adopt. 
The first is that we need to pursue God's will instead of our will. We need to pursue God's plans instead of our own plans. How many of you know that God has some plans? God has a will. Yes, he does. And how many of you have found from time to time there's God's will and then there's your will? There's what God wants you to do and then there's what you want to do. And so to live like Jesus, the first thing we got to do is, is we got to make God's, God's will our will. We got to make God's plans our plans. The second thing is that we need to live with a sense of urgency knowing that our time is short. That's the second thing. So we're going to unpack those two things together. First is God's will. So back to the passage this morning. He says, come now, you who say, today we will go and do this and that. But he says, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that only appears for a moment. He's saying, you have your own will. You have your own plans. But we need to say, if, if it's God's will, we, we need to to understand the will of God, the plans of God, and, and align our lives with that. He says it's arrogance, it's boastful, it, it's pride to say, well, these are my plans and I'm just going to do them. We as Christians need to understand, to learn, to know the will of God. Amen. As as. I, I, don't, I don't own my life. You don't own your life. You were given life as a gift by God. He has given you life. If you are alive today, and I pray everybody who can hear me is, it's because God it's God's will that you're alive. God has made you alive. Your life doesn't belong to you. It belongs to him. And so for, for me to, to, to fulfill the purpose for which I was given life, I have to not live it for my own will, but for God's will. Not for my own glory, but for God's glory. Not only do I belong to God, but now he's redeemed my life. Because through sin and disobedience and rebellion, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have messed up the life God gave us. But through Christ, God has redeemed us. Through Christ, he's made us alive again in him, born again. And so I belong to God because he made me, he created me. And now as a Christian, I've been redeemed. My life doesn't belong to me, it belongs to him. So we need to know what the will of God is. So how can we know the will of God? What is it? How can we know it? Where do we find it? We don't find it in the horoscope every day. You know, we, we don't get it by a fortune cookie. I mean, where do we find the will of God? I'll give you the biggest secret, okay? This is it. The will of God is found in the Word of God. This is the secret. If you want to know the will of God, you got to know the Word of God. God is showing us His will in His Word. And so if I want to walk in His will, I need to put His Word in my heart. David said, 
I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That as I put God's word and God's, um, his revelation into me, I'm able to understand, I'm able to know and walk out the will of God in every situation. So God has shown me in his word how to live. So many decisions that we make on a day-to-day basis, we don't have to stop and pray and say, God, what's your will here? Because he's already shown us in his word. He's already shown us in his word. And God's will will never contradict his word. And he never changes. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, forever. God's word never changes. If it was true yesterday, it's true today. Truth is truth. It doesn't change. Circumstances don't change the truth. This doesn't change. So God's word, because in God's word it's revealed to me, I don't don't have to wander through life wondering how I should live or, or what I should do. What I should say is, well, what does the Bible say about this in every circumstance? So, for example, I know that it's God's will for me to stay married. I know that. I know it's God's will for me to love and serve my wife as Christ loved the church. I know it's God's will for me because it's in his word that I should disciple my children in the faith as a father. I know it's God's will that I should discipline my children. Hey, why are you saying amen to me so much? You don't think I discipline my kids enough? Because I know God's word, I know it's God's will for me to be a good steward of my finances. Less amens on that one. So I, I, I should avoid debt. I should be generous. I should support my local church. I should, I should sow into evangelism and world missions with my finances. I know it's God's will for me to study the word. I know it's God's will for me to be in community and fellowship and relationship with other people in the body of Christ. I know it's God's will for me to be submitted to spiritual authority. I know it's God's will for me to gather regularly with the people of God. I know it's God's will for me to, to be sexually pure. I know it's God's will for me to not entertain lustful thoughts. All of these things, I don't have to, when presented with temptation, I don't have to say, God, what should I do? What should I do here? He's already shown me in his word. I know it's God's will that I shouldn't, if I'm, if I'm single, I shouldn't marry an unbeliever. I shouldn't associate myself with people who call, or I shouldn't, excuse me, I shouldn't fellowship with people who say they're Christians, but they live like the devil. I I shouldn't, um, I'm sorry, I'm going to get back to my notes. I should avoid people who encourage me to sin. I should honor my father and mother. I should confess my sin to one another. I should live sober-minded. I shouldn't gossip, lie, cheat, bend the truth, fib on my taxes. I should be a man of integrity. On and on and on and on and on. 99.9% of every decision that I have to make, it's already shown me in God's Word how to live. But let me boil it down for you. Let me make it really simple for you. Let me distill it down to just one tiny iota of truth. What is God's will for you? I can tell you right now God's will for your life. 
1 Thessalonians 4, the apostle writes, he's, Apostle Paul writes, he says, this is God's will for you, your sanctification. That's God's will for your life. God, show me your will. He just did. It's right there. That you would be sanctified. That is God's will for your life. What does that mean? What does sanctification mean? It means that you should allow the Holy Spirit to make you like Jesus. That's sanctification. So to wrap it all the way back around, God's will for your life is that you live like Jesus, that you are like him. Romans 8.29 says that through the Holy Spirit, God is conforming us, forming us, shaping us into the image of his son. That we are created as image bearers of God and we are to reflect, we are to image God to all creation. That Christ would be formed in us, that Christ would be formed in you. That's what sanctification means. That's God's will for your life. Bottom line, that Christ would be formed in you. That you would be divorced from the desires of the flesh, from the enticement of the world, from being led astray into temptation, from putting yourself on, on a pedestal, for living for me, myself, and I, that, that all of that would be cut off and separated from you and that the Spirit of Christ would take up residence in your soul. That's God's will for your life in every situation. That's it. Do you remember those little bracelets that we used to wear as teenagers? WWJD? Remember that? We all had those bracelets 20 years ago when I was a teenager. We thought it was cool for a little while and then it wasn't cool anymore so we don't wear them anymore. I'm gonna go dig out my WWJD bracelet. That, that's what this is saying. In every situation I should say, what would Jesus do here? What would Jesus do? And do it. That's God's will for your life. It's not that complicated. So sanctification or, or salvation, um, part of where people get confused sometimes is, is when they, they struggle to live like Christ, which is, it is a struggle, right? How many of you would say, it's oh, it's easy for me to live like Jesus? No, of course not. There's, there's a war going on, but the war is going on in our soul, and our soul is our mind, our will, our emotions, our thought life, our desires, and how we feel. That's where that war is going on, in our soul. And sanctification is talking about your soul. You see, Christ, when he saves us, our spirit is saved. We are born again. We are made alive in Christ. The Bible calls that justification. Can you say justification? Justification. It means just as if I never sinned. That I am seated in Christ, with Christ in heavenly places. When God sees me, he doesn't see a sinner. He sees a saint. Can I get an amen? That's justified. But I still sin. I still struggle. I still have temptation. 
Does it mean I'm not saved? No. It means that I still need to work out my salvation, that what God does on the inside of me, at the deepest core of my being, saving my spirit, that I need to work that out, going outward, spirit, soul, and eventually body. And so it's justification. My spirit is saved. My eternity is secure. Now my soul is being saved. My soul is being sanctified. My mind, my will, my emotions, it is being saved right now. And then one day, even my body will be saved. And we call that glorification. And we're all looking forward to that, amen? No more sickness, no more disease, no more cancer, no more pain, no more death. That's glorification. That's future. So it's past. I have been saved. If you've been saved today, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are saved. You are born again. You are a new creation, the Bible says. So what's God's will for your life? That you would be sanctified that you would allow your salvation to work its way out. Let Jesus out every once in a while in your life. Let him influence your thoughts, influence your desires. A couple weeks ago, Mark uh, talked about this earlier passage in James chapter 4, talking about why, why are there quarrels, why are there fights among you? Isn't it that you have passions at war within yourself? That, that what produces pain and brokenness and heartache and all this stuff in our lives, even as Christians, is that we have warring passions. That in my flesh, my earthly nature, my sinful nature, I still want to do things that are contrary to the will of God. I still want to go my own way and glorify myself. But I have this warring passion within me that also, because of what God's done, I want to give God the glory. I don't want to live for myself. I want to put him first. I don't want to grieve his heart or the Holy Spirit. So there's this tension going on there. If you're not a Christian, let me tell you, God's will for your life is that you would be saved. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish. God wants you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's God's will for your life. And if you are saved... It's to allow the life of Christ and the Spirit of God to transform your thinking, to transform who you are, and, and to make you the best possible version of yourself. Let me tell you, when you give yourself to God, you're not losing anything. You're gaining everything. Some people feel like, well, if I surrender to God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to lose myself in Him. Let me tell you, that is the best thing that could ever happen to you. It would make you the best possible version of yourself that you could ever be. It would make you the version of yourself that God created you to be. To set you free to live for Him. So that's God's will, that you would be sanctified, that you would be saved, spirit, soul, and body, justified, sanctified, and ultimately glorified. So for me today... It's that I would submit my thoughts, my desires, my feelings to be like Christ. You know, Jesus, he had to do that because he was fully God. He was yet fully man. 
He had to submit to the will of the Father. He had to submit to go to the cross. That's why in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. How could Jesus have a will? Isn't Jesus God? How could he have a will different from God? Because in his flesh, he was not looking forward to crucifixion, to sacrifice, to death. That's not what he was looking forward to. Yet his example is not my will, but yours be done. And all of us, too, have the same decision to make. We need to pray, or pray the same prayer. In our flesh, we, we don't want to sacrifice. In our flesh, we, we don't want it to be put to death. Yet, there's so much power in saying, there's so much freedom in saying, not my will, but yours be done. To boil it down even, even simpler, Jesus said, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. What's God's will for my life? You just need to love the person right in front of you. You just need to love the person right in front of you. That's it. You, you could boil down everything in this book to that one word, love. If you, if you love the person in front of you, you will live like Jesus. So when you're with somebody and you have to make a decision, say, how do I love this person? How do I love this person? Sometimes loving somebody may, means you're going to make them really mad. How many of you have found that out? I mean, because I love my children, I spank their bottoms. Right? Well, that's what I do. I don't know what you guys do, but that's what I do because I love my kids because they need to learn about this world that we live in. And it's my job to teach them. They don't like it. I'm not their best friend, but that's okay. Sometimes loving someone means you're going to upset them, that you might have to tell them a difficult truth. But we're called to speak the truth in love, right? Amen. So to boil it all down, what am I supposed to do? What's God's will in this situation right here? I need to love you. How do I love you? Let God show you. Let God speak to you. You know, you can pray in every situation. Did you know you can pray in your head? It's amazing. Like, thank God I can. I do it all the time. Lord, show me how to love this person right now. Nobody in here, but just all these other people out there that I know. But Lord, seriously, show me. What, what does it look like? What does love look like in this situation? Love looks like sacrifice a lot. Putting the person's needs above my own. Being kind. Wow. What an, what an amazing idea that you came to church today and to hear. Be kind. Be nice. Don't be a jerk. Jesus is our example. He's our example. Listen to what Jesus had to say about the way he lived his life. I got a couple verses here. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Jesus said, I've not spoken on my own authority, but the father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. 
He said, I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus says, I only say what the Father says. I only do what the Father does. What a life. That's a life of service. That's a life of surrender. That's a life of sacrifice. And that's our example. That, that's how you and I are called to live and empowered to live by God's Spirit alive inside of you. To live like Jesus means surrendering my life to the will of the Father, every part of my life, the things that I do and the things that I say. How different would our lives be if we only said what God wanted us to say? How many of you, your week would have gone a little bit better this last week if the only words in your mouth was what God had approved for you to say? So that's the first thing, God's will, that you would live like Jesus. Number two is this living with a sense of urgency. Verse 14, he said, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. How many of you would say that's true? You don't know what tomorrow will bring. You have no idea. It could be the best day of your life. It could be the worst day of your life. It could be the last day of your life. You might not even make it to tomorrow. You don't know. I don't know what tomorrow will bring for you, for me, for anybody. But you know who does? God knows. And so I need to be about doing what God would have me be doing every single day. I don't have to live in fear about tomorrow. God already knows what's going to be. God's already there. God's not bound by time. He's not bound by our limitations. So no matter what I face at any point in any day, I don't have to live in fear because God's in control because God has it. He says, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. He says, what is your life? Is it not a mist or a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes? James is saying, life is short. You should make it count. Amen. You know, when you're young, you feel like you're invincible, right? I did. So you do really stupid things when you're young because you just you haven't learned not to be stupid yet. <laughs> you feel like you have, etern your whole li you have your whole life in front of you. You've got an eternity to figure this thing out. But as time goes on, for me, it feels like time speeds up. I don't know. The older I get, it seems like the faster things go. So that's why my sermons get longer, because they <laughs> go by faster. It's just really weird the older I get. No, but it, it, it's, it, you know, my kids, I, 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 you know, you experience life through your children, and, and things that are, are so quick for us as adults, it, for them it seems like it's taking forever, right? You get in the car, are we there yet? It's like we haven't even left the driveway yet. Your mom is still inside the house. No, no. I took Judah with me to Quitman when I went and preached in Quitman a couple months ago. We weren't even on the highway yet. 
seven, eight hour drive and he's, are we there yet? I just called Heather. I said, I don't know. I think I should turn around and drop this kid off because I'm going to make it, but he might not if he keeps asking me. And, you know, every five minutes, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Judah, when I stop the car, we'll be there. If the car is moving, we're not there. So it's this, this issue of time. And for, for children, you know, I remember as a child being depressed on December 26th because it meant that there was a whole year until Christmas. Oh, this is going to take forever. And I see my kids, you know, how many days till my birthday? It's only two months away. Two months away. Ah. And so time as you get older, it, it speeds up. Brother Beatles, I don't know what life is like for you, man, but it's just got to be like crazy. It compresses. It seems like it's just going it, to me now. It's like you, you don't measure life in, in days or weeks. It's like months. You plan out your month because it just goes by like that. I mean, we're halfway, almost halfway through 2018. It goes by so quick. And that's what James is saying. He's saying life goes by quickly. And, and if you think you've got a long time, you're, you're fooling yourself. He compares life to a vapor or a mist. What I like to think of is like a whiff of perfume. I got some perfume whiffs when I came in this morning. I was, I was happy about that. I'm always happy when I smell perfume. It sure beats the alternative. And so... <laughs> But it's, it's here and then it's gone, right? Some of the men in the church, I don't know how you do this, but I shake your hand and I smell like you for a week. I don't know what you guys are doing with that aftershave or cream or whatever it is, but that, 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 some, of the, some of you guys have some lingering um, perfume or cologne. Anyway... James says that life is like a vapor. It's like a mist. It, it, it's here and then it's, it's gone. It, 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 it fades away. It, you can't hold on to it. The, the, the more you try to, 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 to hold on to it, the, the, the faster it goes, the, the more it slips through your fingers. It, it's fleeting. It goes by so quickly. It, it's, it's like that cologne or that perfume. You, you smell it and then it's gone. Unless you're like some of the men in the church and it just lingers and lingers. But every time from now on that you smell a perfume or a cologne, here's what I want you to think. Life is short. Well, that's depressing. Look, it doesn't have to be. Because the cool thing, here's the cool thing. The cool thing is that you can make your short life matter for eternity. You can use the, the time that you have to impact eternity. Your, our, mine, our short lives, they can make a difference that linger 
on forever. If you only had one week to live, we're just going there today. That's where we're going. If you only had one week to live, what would that week look like? Who would you call? Who would you spend that time with? I bet if you only knew you had one week to live, that this next coming week would look a lot different than the week before. That it would look a lot different than your average week. You know what you wouldn't do? Oh man, I gotta squeeze in the whole Marvel extended universe this week. I, I, gotta, I gotta get caught up on, on you know, my Netflix queue. I need to catch, you know, that, that last episode that I never saw of, you know, whatever chef and whatever he's cooking on the TV. Or I got I to gotta watch more news to figure out what would your life, seriously, what would your life look like? Who would you reconcile with? What would you get done if you knew you only had one week left? The thing is, you might only have a week. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. So we need to make every single day count. Every single day count. I've been telling myself this lately. No more wasted days. No more wasted days. I don't want to waste one more day. I've already filled my quota of wasted days for my life, let me tell you. Spending my life in, on just stuff that doesn't matter. I don't want to use, I don't want to waste any more of the time that God has given me. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, am I spending my time on what matters most? Your time is your life. Are you spending your time, are you spending your life on what matters most? We live in an unprecedented time in human history. Because of technology, we have more options on how to spend our time than any other generation in the history of mankind. We have all of these options on, on what to do with our time and ways to, to spend our time. You know, there used to be this saying called, knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. But think about it, because of the, the proliferation of low-cost technology, we're all carrying around a supercomputer in our pocket with unlimited access to unlimited information, to unlimited knowledge. If knowledge truly is power, all of us have been empowered. But what are we doing with all of that? What are we doing with it? What are we doing with this empowerment that we've received? You know, I, in Israel, at any point in the day, anywhere we were, because I had 4G coverage, I could push a button and FaceTime my wife. Video, live video from the other side of the planet. Five, ten years ago, that was science fiction. And today it's just like, oh, oh buffering. Oh. What are we doing with what we've been given? These gifts of power, these gifts of connection, this gift of knowledge, are we using them to accomplish what matters most 
or are we allowing them to dominate our lives as consumers? No more wasted days. Your time is short, but you can use your short time to have an eternal impact. Two ways, two ways that you can do that. You can invest your time in the kingdom of God, which is eternal, which is without end. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You can invest, the second, you can invest your time in people who are also eternal. Every person you see is going to spend eternity somewhere. When you invest in people, you're investing in eternity. When you invest your time in the kingdom of God, you're investing, you're making an eternal investment. There's three things we can do with time. We can waste it. That's why we have the phrase killing time. What are you doing? Oh, nothing, just killing time. Okay. We can waste our time on stuff that just doesn't matter. We can spend our time. That's just, you know, whatever. We can invest our time. I want to invest my time. You see, when you make an investment, you know what it does? It, it compounds. You get more back than you put in. When I invest in the kingdom of God, when I invest my life into other people, it, it explodes in an exponential way. But when I kill my life by just being a consumer of media, it goes nowhere. It does nothing. Now, I'm not saying you can't ever watch TV. I'm not saying you have to go cancel your Netflix account or you're going to hell. That's not what I'm saying. Me and my wife, we watch Netflix, Star Trek. We watch Star Trek, the next generation, all right? We're weird. We like stuff, all right? But it's this issue of priority. Seek first the kingdom of God. Doesn't mean I can't watch Netflix, but I don't live my life for Netflix. I don't order my calendar and my month and my week around when is what dropping so I can spend the next eight hours consuming it. I don't do that anymore. Thank you, Jesus. We need to invest our life into what matters. Seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. And invest your life into other people. So what are you living for? What are you pursuing? Are you seeking God's will or your own will? Are you pursuing God's plans or your own plans? Are you investing your time into eternity or are you spending it or wasting it here? To wrap it up, James concludes with this verse. He says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. You know, many times God will convict us of certain things in our lives. Sometimes God will convict you of something he hasn't convicted somebody else of. And so this is why you cannot compare your life to somebody else's. Well, pastor watches Star Trek, the next generation, so I guess I can too. Not if God tells you not to. You gotta work out your own faith. You, you gotta w have your own walk with the Lord. 
Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. See, God might convict you of something he doesn't convict me and convict me of things that he hasn't convicted you. So I don't compare myself to you and your life. I compare myself to Jesus and how he lived his life. He is my standard. He is your standard. He is what we're looking up to. He is what we're living up to. And so I need to, Lord, what are you speaking? What, what's the wise thing to do in all of these matters? And then I need to do it. And that's what I will be judged on, is what this verse is saying. Can I have three extra minutes today? Can you give me three more minutes? Okay. Um, Jeff said take five. Roger laughed. Some people over here groaned. So I'm going to go with three. Um, the most impactful thing for me on my trip to Israel was some of the people that I met. Not so much the places that I saw. I've, I've seen the places before. But it was some of the people that we met. And I want to introduce you to two of them. I'm going to show you their picture. One is named Andre, the other is Johnny. Both of these people, they were our tour guides. When you go to Israel, you have to have a licensed tour guide by the state of Israel, and they know all the history and everything. Very knowledgeable people. They were our tour guides. They took us, took us around to the sites and made sure that we were safe and all that. They're both Christians, which is awesome. We, request, we requested to have Christian guides. They're both Arabs, which is great, awesome. You know what they asked us to pray for? They said, before we left, both of them, they say, pray for your brothers and sisters in this land, especially the Arab Christians. And what we had discovered through spending time with them is the way that Arab Christians in Israel are persecuted, are persecuted. Things that you and I take for granted, freedoms that you and I enjoy, they don't share because they are Christian, because of their faith. That made a huge impact on me. Um, I, I talked with a, a Christian pastor there. I got to have dinner with him, and I asked him, if somebody wanted to start a church here, a new church, a new church plant, how, how could he do it? And he said, it'd be next to impossible to start a new church here. It just, it's, beyond, it's beyond reality. He, his, his church was over 100 years old. Um, and in his church, his building was burned down, and for seven years, by the state of Israel, they were denied a permit to rebuild their church. They didn't want them on that land. They wanted them to go out into the desert somewhere. And so for seven years, their church met in their parking lot under a tent. Little things, little, I call them little things like that. Little things like, you know, coming to a place where we can just gather. You know, if this building burned down today, we wouldn't have any trouble getting the, the building permit because we're Christians. And it just made me realize, we met another lady. She's a director of a Christian school full of Muslim students. Her, both her and her husband have been held up at gunpoint 
because of the work that they're doing there with those kids. And they still show up to work every single day. How many of you, if you showed up to work one day and they put a gun in your face and said, stop coming, you'd say, you know what? I'm putting in my two weeks at Chick-fil-A. I'm done. <laughs> I know you're a Christian company, but hey. We, we don't understand. I mean, we are so blessed. It's not that we have it easy. We are blessed by God. And, and the issue that I've been convicted with is, man, what are we doing with these blessings? I mean, we could start a church anywhere at any time. We just go down the street. We, we have so much freedom. And their prayer request was that we would pray for their, the Arab Christians who they're kicked out of the Muslim community because they're Christians. They're kicked out of the Jewish community because they're Arabs. And they don't feel the support from the body of Christ here stateside, which is a real shame because we should be standing with our brothers and sisters, at least in prayer. Amen. And so both of these people asked us to pray for them as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I thought we could do that. We could close out today by doing that. But it's also within this idea of we got to use what God's given us. We got to realize how blessed that we are, the freedoms that we have. We need to take advantage of them while we have them. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. But we thank you for life, the gift that it is, Lord, that we are alive today. Lord, we're alive today not so that we could live for ourselves. We're alive today not so that we could build our own kingdoms. We're not alive today so that we can set ourselves up on our own throne. Lord, we're alive today so that we can live for you. We're alive today so that we can build and expand your kingdom. We're alive today so that you can be on the throne of our hearts and of our lives. Lord, help us to understand that you have, have made possible for us the ability to live like you on the earth, to be Jesus, to be salt and to be light in the earth that you've called us, the places, the, the, the families, the, the communities, the workplaces. Lord, help us to love the people in front of us the way that you have loved us. Lord, help us to realize the way that you did that our time is short. Lord, let us not become distracted by things that would take us off of the mission, the plan, the purpose, the reason that you have us here on the earth. Lord, help us to, to use all of the resources, all of the assets, all of the blessings that you've poured into our lives to expand your kingdom, to shine the light of Jesus, the healing message of the gospel. Lord, forgive us for the times where we become distracted, where we, we take our eyes off of you, we take our eyes off of the mission, we, we become consumers of, 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 of just commercial goods, Lord, that, that is not an end unto itself, Lord, but it should be a means to an end to expand your kingdom. Lord, help us to use all of these things for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we remember our friends, Lord, all over the world, not just our friends, but our brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, who are suffering for their faith. God, we ask that you would pour out uh, strength into them, or that their faith would not fail in the test, God, but that you would somehow use the, the persecution, that you would somehow use it, Lord, for your glory. 
that you would help them to remain strong, Lord, that they would remain faithful, Lord, that they would persevere in the light of every challenge. Lord, show us, Lord, as a church, ways that we can bless the persecuted church all over the world. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.